This week on Geeksplain, my voice is moderately better, so let's count down the top 5 darkest stories in comics. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we explain it. I'm your host, Eric Zana, and as we continue to roll on through October, I thought it'd be pretty cool to talk about the top five darkest comic book stories. Uh, so, I just, sometimes when you read a story that's graphic or dark or has really um, uh, dark themes, it really grabs at you when you remember it and it sticks with you for a while so i thought let's count down my top five so before we get into all that i just want to put a few ground rules uh first of all this is my personal list this is my personal top five if your list differs if your list is different than mine then please feel free to reach out to me and let me know what your list is you can uh, put comments on wherever you happen to be listening to this particular podcast. You could also uh, tweet at us at Pod. That's at Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can also send me emails because I'm an old man and I still read emails. You can send any and all emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Um, and this is also going to deal with mostly just the big two so just marvel and dc comic stories um i wanted to keep it down to those two companies just because i wouldn't say i'm the biggest authority on independent comics i have dipped my toe into the independent comics realm on multiple occasions but seeing as how independent comics have more free reign to tackle different uh subject material then our like our big two companies i feel like i would just be overwhelmed with the amount of uh comics and i wouldn't be able to come up with a top five so this is going to be just marvel just dc though feel free to recommend to me any independent comics that you think uh should be on the list or should top the list um also just going to get a couple different plugs out of the way uh if you haven't yet uh and if you live in the LA area, the uh, Los Angeles area, and you haven't yet gone to Warner Brothers Studios Horror Made Here event, you should totally do it. I am a performer at that event, and uh, we are heading into our final weekend. Uh, it's going to be Thursday through Sunday this weekend, and then it's over for the year. So if you haven't yet, if you haven't checked it out, if you like horror events like uh, Halloween Horror Nights, uh, Not Scary Farm, that kind of thing, uh, definitely check us out. We are a fairly new event. Uh, this is only the second year that it's running, but we have just exploded with popularity and talent. Uh, we've had quite a few super positive reviews. I believe uh, Horror Buzz said that we were the uh, finest example of Hollywood-level talent in a horror event like this. So who can argue with Horror Buzz, right? <laughs> so definitely check it out um if you do go feel free to reach out to me i uh, would love to see you guys there 
Of course, I will be in character, so I can't interact with you, but I would love, love, love to hear about your guys' experience at the event, because it is so much fun, and we have all put a tremendous amount of work into it, and we, I would just, I would love to see you guys there. Uh, also, a little bit of uh, podcast news, we have recently, just recently, let me pull this up real quick, we just recently went over a thousand listens on this podcast. Um, I know that's like in the grand scheme of things, kind of small potatoes, but for this podcast, since we just start, started in February, we have been steadily climbing up and over a thousand listens means that we're doing something right. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who has been listening with us. Whether you were there from the very beginning or you just jumped on recently, I want to say that I appreciate you listening to this podcast. Uh, I was just blown away by the fact that we have hit over a thousand listens and I am just super thankful for you guys. I also looked and we have been getting some uh, overseas uh, listeners as well. So if you are an overseas listener, uh, hello. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this American podcast. I do appreciate it. I, uh, right now I'm just looking at, uh, recently, it looks like we've got listeners in Australia and the UK, so hello. Uh, I'm very excited to have this podcast kind of reach out as far as it can. So yeah, I'm just, gosh, I'm excited. I'm excited about this podcast. I'm excited that we're doing well. So um, I guess we will jump here into the list. So again, uh my own personal list, feel free to reach out to me with your own personal list and any recommendations on dark comic book storylines that you think I should check out. So number five uh, is going to be The Killing Joke. Uh, Killing Joke is written by Alan Moore with art by Brian Bolland, and everybody knows The Killing Joke. If you are familiar at all with the character of the Joker, if you are familiar at all with DC Comics, you have probably heard someone talk about The Killing Joke. Uh, It is what I consider an instant classic. It is something that, when it came out, was instantly recognized as something that is going to have staying power for a very long time. Uh, I actually covered it in a previous episode. If you haven't listened to that yet, go ahead and check that out once you are done listening to this one. But yeah, this uh, this is your definitive, for a lot of people, Joker story. And it deals with his origin. It deals with some really, really heavy topics. Um, the Joker, one of the big aspects of the story is the uh, paralysis of Barbara Gordon. Uh, Joker shows up at uh, Barbara Gordon's apartment, shoots her, paralyzes her from the waist down, and from different accounts and different editions and whatnot, we are led to believe that he uh, sexually assaults her. And so it is some heavy, heavy stuff that happens in this book. Uh, We also get some really dark imagery. We talk about the Joker's supposed origin story where uh, his wife dies testing, I think it was like a baby bottle heater. And it's it's pretty dark stuff. And Brian Boland on art is incredible. The artwork in this book is breathtaking. It is very unsettling at times. There is a specific uh, panel that I personally always go back to where uh, Batman and Joker are having their kind of final confrontation and Batman tosses Joker out the window, and we see Joker scrambling for his gun, and when he turns around and points the gun at Batman, is one of the most haunting images that I have ever seen. 
to this day. We also deal with the psychological torment of uh, Barbara's father, Jim Gordon. After uh, Barbara Gordon is attacked, Jim is also in the apartment and he gets attacked and beaten and brought back to the Joker's uh, amusement park that he just kind of purchased, but really just kind of stole. And um, just the systematic breakdown of him, you know, showing him images of his daughter in various states of undress, um, just psychologically breaking him, trying to show Batman that all it takes is one bad day to turn even the most sane man crazy. And it's just, it's an incredibly dark story that really kind of jumped off of where Batman comics were at the time. Uh, recently, I believe had to be i want to say like a year prior to this we experienced uh jason todd's death and the story death of death in the family and this was just kind of a long running storyline of kind of breaking batman's character down uh also i wanted to definitely talk about the ending uh again if you haven't listened to the uh podcast about killing joke definitely check that out but um it's so hard to talk about the setting because there are so many different interpretations of it. Uh, my personal headcanon interpretation is that this is kind of an out-of-continuity story and that um, has pieces of in-continuity uh, woven, woven through it. I, uh, I know that sounds confusing. It doesn't really make any sense. But uh, in my version of this story, this is the final Batman-Joker story. This is where Batman finally snaps after everything that the Joker has put him through, put the people he cares about through. This is where he kills the Joker. And a lot of people have taken it as other things, and that's fine. Your ending might differ from my ending. That's totally fine. That's totally okay. But the idea that Batman could just reach over and strangle the Joker to death is just crazy um pun intended i uh i really i think this is a beautifully dark story about two people who are set on a collision course and no matter how much they may not want to come to a violent ending it's going to just because of who they are as people so that is my number five and kind of i would say an obvious choice on this list um, so number four is Watchmen. Watchmen is a classic story, and I know what you're thinking, Eric, you just said no independent comic stories. Well, thanks to Doomsday Clock, Watchmen is now in DC continuity, so I have it on this list. And Watchmen was written also by Alan Moore, but this time with art by Dave Gibbons. It is a classic seminal story. It is one of the most influential comic stories of all time. And it is also one of the darkest stories. It is dealing with uh, the superhero archetype when set in a gritty reality. And at this point, it was the gritty reality of the 80s where a lot of things were going on. It's a very dark period in human history just because of the multiple aspects that were going on with street violence, with the AIDS epi epidemic, with uh, the Cold War, all of this stuff that was happening that... It was really uncertain what was going to happen and with this story alan moore and dave gibbons put a certain amount of superhero satire into a real life situation where 
you get to see these characters, these characters who some went through like what they would consider a golden age of superhero uh, uh, superheroics where they would have to deal with the grim reality of what would happen after the superhero craze died down which it did in our reality where uh, superhero comics kind of fell out of vogue and they were really on just their last legs until the boom of like the 60s and the 70s and what i love love about this story is that it deals with these character archetypes that we are all very familiar with but brings in these adult themes such as racism such as mental um mental health mental deterioration such as uh sexual assault all of these things that our neighbor's dog is a huge fan of Watchmen. Rorschach is her favorite character. <laughs> um, anyway. Okay, so, um, yeah, it's... <laughs> uh, the, the joys of living in an apartment complex. Man, let's go. I'm, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. So, uh, Watchmen also deals with a seemingly bleak worldview uh, which I think is very of the times the 80s while being an incredible time for the arts for music for all of that stuff was also dealing with the kind of cynicism in the government the cynicism of the American dream and really dealing with that in this comic along with dealing with this idea that maybe we are the problem maybe the reason that the world would need superheroes is because it isn't perfect and because it will eventually ruin itself if someone doesn't step in and try to fix the problem um it also has an incredibly dark ending where uh ozymandias sets upon in the original comic sets this giant monstrous looking creature upon new york and kills hundreds of thousands of people just to get this idea that oh we're getting attacked by aliens from space to bring the world together and you know in the end of this the villain essentially osmandius wins though of course in his estimation he is the hero of the story so it deals with a lot of multiple perspectives how no one is really a hundred percent flawless a hundred percent uh without blood on their hands and i think that's incredible and an incredible uh story to tell at this time when comics were really going through a reinvention of sorts in what they um what what they really uh translated to the reader so that is my number four number three is marvel ruins if you have never heard of this story pick it up it is incredibly dark and it is incredibly sad and it is just it's awful it's really awful in the best way though so this book marvel ruins was written by warren ellis with art by therese and cliff nielsen and this in if i could break this down to a one phrase story it is the worst case scenario of the marvel universe uh this story was a sequel to or kind of a spiritual successor to the story of marvels which was written i want to say the year before kind of dealing with marvel in its best light 
And this story, Marvel Ruins, basically takes this story and takes that story and shows the dark reflection of it. This is the Marvel Universe at its darkest. This is the Marvel Universe where anything bad that could happen does happen. Uh, perfect example, Bruce Banner. Uh, the story basically deals with the idea that all of these superhero origin stories, all these superhero powers might not just come out as the superheroic thing that we're used to today. I think uh, with Bruce Banner, when he is uh, afflicted with his gamma bomb instead of turning into this muscular Hulk that can uh, turn back into normal Bruce Banner when his rage calms down, it just overloads him with radioactive tumors and makes him essentially turns him into one giant radioactive tumor that just is undying and Bruce Banner is fated to suffer until the tumor I would say grows and explodes so it is really really dark um, the Avengers in the story are rebel secessionists who are fighting against the government uh, the government being run by President X which is implied to be President Xavier who used his again implied it is implied that he used his telepathy to basically rule over the government which is just bonkers and at the beginning of the story the remaining avengers we're talking about like iron man captain america they all die when their quinjet is destroyed and we find out that wanda the scarlet witch uh basically took a plea deal from the government to betray her fellow avengers and it's like what is going on it basically the story is from the perspective of this reporter who is trying to kind of just take a look at the marvel universe in its current state because it is again the worst case scenario and he's trying to cover everything and there's so many things that's going on like wolverine is dying from the uh basically from metal poisoning inside of his body from the adamantium uh peter parker peter parker uh instead of a spiderite giving him powers developed some kind of uh disease some kind of airborne or uh, contagious disease that he spread to other members of the daily bugle and now they're all dying horrific uh cancerous deaths uh the fantastic four Fantastic Four are also all dead. Uh, ben Grimm, who decided not to pilot the, uh, the ship into the uh, cosmic ray cloud, is recounting how Reed, Sue, and Johnny hired Victor Von Doom to fly the plane, and then they flew up and they all died because that's probably what would happen if an actual ship was struck by cosmic rays. Um, Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer is freaking crazy because he decided that he, while flying around being a Galactus Herald, wanted to feel again, so he rips open his body trying to feel something, and the cosmic energy that erupted from him killed hundreds of thousands of people. Like, it is crazy what this story goes through. Um, at the end, we find out that the reporter that we've been following has been uh or that have we have been following has been dealing with this sickness that peter parker infected him with and he dies the end of the story is that he dies and it's like it's just bleak it's depressing it's sad and it's just it's incredibly dark and if you want to 
I think it's especially prevalent today since Marvel is essentially on top of the world with everything they're doing. Um, this is a kind of a what I would call a quote unquote realistic take on what would really happen to these characters if they were um, if they were to get their powers and to have all this stuff happen in reality. So that is my number three. Uh, number two. This might be a controversial pick, uh, but number two is Identity Crisis, uh, written by Brad Meltzer with art by Rags Morales. This is um, really dark. Uh, for me, I I struggled with this on the list. At certain points, I wanted it to be number one. Uh, at certain points, I wanted it to not even make on the list because of the actual quality of the storytelling. But for all of its faults, for all of the things it does wrong, it does some things incredibly, incredibly right. That being the incredible art by Rags Morales. And also the idea that not everything is as it seems. And it does an interesting retcon to certain characters and to an entire age, an entire silver age of comics that have implications for the rest of the continuity of the DC Universe all the way up to the New 52. And what this story does so well is play with the idea of secrets being dangerous, of secrets having long-standing and far-reaching implications on the people around you. Um, I guess we'll just jump right into the biggest thing that most people really identify with Identity Crisis is uh, Sue Dibney. Sue Dibney, who is the wife of Ralph Dibney, who is the elongated man. Some of you might be familiar with him on the Flash TV show. Um, Sue Dibney was awesome. She was, and I know everybody has this really, like, uh, I guess, idealized version of Sue Dibney because she really made her uh, appearance known in the Silver Age of comics, but... I think the relationship that she had with Ralph really made a lot of sense in the fact that she was so uh, well connected within the Justice League and everyone really liked her and Ralph together. It just, it made, it made the Justice League and it made the DC Universe feel like, uh, feel like a family, feel like a home. And this story deals with the death of Sue Dibney and not just the death of Sue Dibney, but as we come to find out, uh, Sue Dibney was sexually assaulted by the character Dr. Light. Um, we find out that as bumbling a character as Dr. Light may be, most most people will uh, recognize Dr. Light from the Teen Titans TV show. Um, not the one that came out recently, the animated TV show, the good one. Uh, and it's, oh man, it's a gut punch every time I read this story. Uh, we find out that somehow, uh, way back when, during the Silver Age of Comics, he was not just this bumbling character, he was actually like a sadistic, uh, really psychologically messed up guy, and somehow he found his way onto the Justice League Watchtower, and he attacked Sue Dibney. And when the Justice League returned, they found uh, them, and they proceeded to just kick the shit out of... Arthur Light, sorry for the language, but they just absolutely wreck this guy, and they then don't know what to do with him, so they decide they are going to mind wipe him, to 
take away uh, his knowledge of the Justice League's watchtower, how to get on there, Sue Dibney, the whole thing. And they decide not to just do that, but also to take away everything that makes him dangerous. They decide to permanently tamper with his mind and to essentially turn him into the bumbling character that we know. And, of course, everyone on the Justice League at this point, uh, there were certain characters that were there, like Barry Allen, Hal Jordan, who were for it, for against it, and Batman was immediately like, none of you are going to let... I'm not going to let any of you do this. This is crap. So what do they do? They mind wipe him. Uh, by the way, they're using the... Um, they're using Zatanna to mind wipe these people. So they wipe his memories of this event, send him home, and then they just mentally destroy Dr. Light and then send him on his way. And we get this retcon where throughout the Silver Age, apparently the Justice League using Zatanna uh, mind wiped multiple villains. And that's why they went through different uh, personality shifts. That's why... In certain aspects, super dangerous characters became not as dangerous, and vice versa. And so, it is kind of a band-aid on the idea of um, inconsistent characterization throughout the history of DC Comics. But I thought it was a really cool idea, the fact that the Justice League was harboring this dark secret that nowadays, characters like who at, characters at this point who are on the Justice League who weren't at the time, such as Wally West is the Flash, Kyle Rayner is Green Lantern, are now having to deal with the effects of this. They're also dealing with the idea of uh, secret identities, hence identity crisis, where um, certain secret identities are being leaked out somehow to these villains. Uh, we deal with the death of Tim Drake's father, Jack Drake, which was a haunting haunting part of the story uh the image of batman holding a sobbing tim drake over the body of his dead father still gets me still shakes me up and it is really just it puts out this idea of uh how death follows these heroes no matter what they do uh the death of so many innocent people really is just awful and what's even more awful is the ending, where we find out that this entire thing was orchestrated by Jean Loring, the ex-wife of the Atom. Uh, we find that she had a complete mental breakdown and that she wanted the she wanted Ray Palmer to come back to her. So she thought if she made it seem like uh, Sue got attacked, that he would run to her and come back to her and that is essentially what happens over the course of the story, but it escalates to the point that um, that it's just... Ah, it sucks. It sucks. And um, it's kind of a messy wrap-up. Uh, we find out that Jean Loring what, didn't intend to kill Sue Dibney, but that she ended up killing Sue Dibney and that she had to make it look even worse to hide the fact that she was there. So it is, it deals with a lot of dark stuff. Uh, Gene Loring is admitted to, I want to say Arkham Asylum, but I don't want to 100% say that because it could be another mental hospital. And then um, Ray Palmer at the end of this just shrinks down to the point that we don't see him again for a long time. I want to say this 
is the last time we see him until they do the search for Ray Palmer during the Final Crisis event. But man, he is just so broken up by this. He is so just emotionally destroyed by the fact that the woman that he loved could do this, that we see him just almost screaming out in just frustration and agony and anguish as he shrinks down. And it is a heartbreaking image. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of emotional highs and lows in this story. It's really dark. It deals with a lot of heavy topics. And so that is my number two. But before we get to number one, I wanted to throw out some honorable mentions. These were stories that could have been on the list, but just barely missed it. Um, and we are going to start off with one of the, one of, in my opinion, one of the darkest stories, The Night That Gwen Stacy Died. This is another just heavy story and something that a lot of people know about. Um, just from the act of knowing Spider-Man. This is one of the first stories that for some reason always jumps out to people as this is a big deal because Gwen Stacy died. Gwen Stacy, who uh, had that had at that point been Peter Parker's girlfriend, um, was killed off in the story by the Green Goblin. Technically by Spider-Man, but we won't get into that. But a lot of people see this as the kind of the end of the Silver Age of comics because a lot of like a lot of people had never seen this idea that the main love interest of the hero of the story die. Um, it is a heartbreaking story. It was done beautifully, I think, in the Amazing Spider-Man Two. That movie has more problems than I can say in the length of this podcast. But one thing they did do right was that death scene. It is emotional. It is heartbreaking, and it is incredibly dark. Um, the next honorable mention is the death of the family storyline. This was a uh, something I mentioned earlier, but this was the death of Jason Todd. Uh, similar to uh, Night That Gwen Stacy Died, not many people had seen this idea of the sidekick of the superhero dying and being killed off, and this whole story coming about because of a phone vote is kind of legendary in that aspect. Um, the Joker beats... Robin, who at that point is Jason Todd, to death with a crowbar and then blows him up with with his mother inside of an abandoned warehouse. Batman is just a minute too late, and it is something that really shifted the trajectory for Batman as a character. Uh, the Batman that we have today would not be around if not for this moment, and I think it is just definitely deserves to be in the conversation for uh, the darkest stories jumping off of that the spiritual successor to the story death of the family uh, this was a newer story in the new 52 written by Scott Snyder with Greg Capullo um, this is just more modern in its uh, in its horror aspects it plays out like a horror movie uh, the story itself is very cinematic uh, the whole opening of this story is something that I would consider to be an amazing opening to a film for Batman. Uh, Joker just goes all out. He had been gone for a year at this point uh, after cutting his face off and leaving it for the GCPD to find. And he comes back and the opening of this is him just shutting off all the lights in GCPD, systematically killing people by striking them with a crowbar and just fucking killing a dozen 
if not more police officers on his way to collect his face and just the uh the body horror the idea of him kind of stapling his face back on to his uh back onto his head at certain points he had it upside down where his eye holes are peeking out through or through his his eyes are peeking out through the mouth hole it's just it's it is just unsettling is disturbing and even though it didn't end with as much of a punch as i think a lot of us were expecting it is still an incredibly dark story that you should definitely check out i also have classic marvel zombies uh the title really tells you all you need to know it's marvel universe versus zombies the zombie infection the zombie plague and this is where uh the sentry from another universe uh gets uh lands in the middle of new york the avengers are first on the scene and the sentry is already a zombie and he spreads this zombie plague through the superhero community and it's horrifying it is um disturbing it is everything that you would want in a uh horror comic but for me the reason it didn't make it that it on the main list is because at a certain point it gets kind of goofy and as you know eventually zombie stories tend to do uh it just kind of becomes one note uh the first marvel zombies i think was perfect in its execution but with the subsequent uh sequels after that it got more and more kind of convoluted for me but the first story you should definitely check out because it is horrible (laughs) horrible in the best way uh, the final one is Arkham Asylum, A Serious House and Serious Earth. Uh, this is something that almost had the, the number five spot for me. And it is just, oh, it's horrible. Uh, Batman basically goes into Arkham after it has been taken over by the villains inside of it. And we get to see some really freaky deaky psychedelic stuff that goes on in there. Uh, different aspects of different villains that you might not have seen before uh, come out. And it is, it's... Ah, man. It is something that I think the original Arkham Asylum game took a lot from, uh, spun out of quite a bit, and uh, just the dark aspects of the story, dealing with psychological trauma, dealing with maybe Batman is the reason that all these villains exist, and the fact that by the end of the story, Batman doesn't win. He doesn't beat anybody. He is basically released from the asylum, and everyone basically says, hey, you can come back anytime you like. And Batman leaves visibly shaken. And it is an incredibly dark story. So those are my honorable mentions. Uh, Number one. Number one. um, When I came across this story. When kind of compiling this list together. Originally Identity Crisis was going to be my number one. But as soon as I. I guess remembered. This story. I was like this is the only story that could be number one there's only one story that could top this list and that story my number one pick is craven's last hunt now craven's last hunt is something that i would also put under the instant classic category uh this isn't something that i think anyone expected when it first came out but it is just incredible uh it was written by jm de matisse with art by mike zek and it is arguably Dar- spidey's darkest story um this deals with uh, Craven the Hunter supposedly killing Spider-Man and then pr- trying to prove that he's a better Spider-Man. Um, he, what looks like, shoots and kills Spider-Man, buries him, 
and then takes on a black suit, which uh, I think Spider-Man was wearing at the time. Uh, not the symbiote black suit, but a cloth black suit that Black Cat had made for him. And he goes out and he tries to track down this uh, this character called Vermin, who before had taken both Spidey and Captain America to defeat for whatever reason. And he tries to hunt him down to prove that he's a better Spider-Man. And then we come to find out that Spider-Man was not killed. He was just tranquilized and was buried alive. And so we get this whole... Uh, this whole moment where Spider-Man is digging himself out of his own grave. Um, there's a lot of imagery on dealing with the idea of Craven uh, see Craven only sees the beast part of Spider-Man. He only sees the spider, not the man. Where he's uh, Spider-Man himself tries to see the man in uh, in the aspect of uh, Spider-Man and in Craven himself. Uh, Craven, who at this point had been kind of on the decline as a character, he was uh, originally conceived as a uh, the greatest game or the deadliest game kind of uh, hunter, really had kind of devolved into just your run-of-the-mill Spidey villain at this point, but he wanted to do something to, uh, I guess... At least the writers wanted to do something to put him back on the main stage. And how they do this is by killing him. So uh, at the end of the story, he has, for whatever reason, proven himself to be a superior Spider-Man. And he finds that even though he made this point that he still feels empty and he still feels unfulfilled. So what he does is he takes the rifle, his most trusted hunting rifle and he shoots himself in the head so it's oh man um dealing with suicide is like a tough deal for me um i've had uh i've had people in my life who have uh taken their own lives and it is a heavy topic it is a uh, it's a hard thing to talk about but in this instance, uh, it proves to be a quintessential part of this story. Um, and it proves to the reader that Craven the Hunter would always be unfulfilled, that he is a character who never had the um, never had it in him to be satisfied as a character and as a person. So this kind of makes sense as an ending for his character that he caught the greatest game that he would ever find and he still found himself unfulfilled so um this is an incredibly dark story it deals with a lot of uh allusions to um the relationship between man and beast uh vermin as a character kind of represents the idea that um he is kind of like a rat person it's weird um, I don't know if it's ever really explained why, but that's just who he is. And um, again, when hunting him, Craven only sees the monster part of him where Spider-Man sees the man that could be in Vermin. And it's these differing ideologies along with the fact that they are, in essence, all trying to kill each other uh, that really brings this story together and really hits it home as one of the greatest tragedies in comics. Um it is an incredibly 
deep story. And if you haven't read it yet, do yourself a favor. Uh, find it on Comixology, the Marvel app. Um, try and get the hard copy. I know they collected it at some point. Uh, just do yourself a favor and read the story because it is super dark. And it, I believe, closes out with the whole um, spider spider story that originally the poem is like tiger tiger uh, i so bright kind of thing but instead they summon spider where of course it's spider-man but that was an incredibly emotional ending to a incredibly dark and uh seminal story in the spider-man mythos and when people look at it as when they look at craven as a character this is the story that for a lot of people defines him so those are so that is why it ranks the top for my darkest comic book stories uh so those are my top five uh again if you uh disagree with my list if you have your own list feel free to reach out to me uh i would love to compare and contrast notes with any of you this would be awesome <laughs> I love starting conversations about stuff like this. I love having conversations about this. So uh, that is my list for the top five darkest comic book stories. Now stay tuned after the jump for this week in comics. So I'm going to be honest with you guys. There's not a lot going on this week or next week. <laughs> um, the Originally going through the list of the uh, the comics for... The remainder of October there's not a lot going on I think they're really kind of gearing up for um, kind of the holiday season November and December but the stuff they do have going on this week and next week is quality for the ones that are coming out so uh, for those of you who don't know this week in comics is the segment of this podcast where I recommend to you the top five comics that I am checking out this week and I think you should too sometimes it's six sometimes it's seven it really just depends but um, this week we are starting off right out of the gate with Return of Wolverine number two, uh, written by Charles Sewell. And this is the book where Declan Shalvey is taking over art duties from Steve McNiven. Uh, he is going to be uh, drawing issues two through four, I believe. And then McNiven is going to come back on for issue number five. Uh, I love Declan Shalvey's art. I think he's incredible. I jumped on the bandwagon for him when... He, uh, reading through his run on Moon Knight, and I am excited to see him draw Wolverine. So um, we'll jump into the synopsis because it's it's very lengthy, and I just I want to get through it all. Logan is alive again. Let's see if he can stay that way. Parental advisory. Right, super long, super long. It's really long-winded. I do apologize for that, but um, yeah, the first issue uh, I think was an interesting. Uh, look at the it was an interesting kind of deconstruction of wolverine as a character and kind of setting the stage for him to go forward he has some form of amnesia he doesn't know exactly what's going on who he is which is you know classic wolverine but um this story seems to be jumping off of that uh we're also getting the full kind of debut of his new costume which i personally actually really like there's been a lot of uh, back and forth on people liking it or not um, and this is also going to be the debut of Wolverine's new power, where he superheats his claws and they get really super hot. Uh, I don't think it's really been explained why they do that or how, but uh, hopefully this issue will give us some answers. So uh, yeah, definitely check out Return of Wolverine number two. Uh, next up, we have Action Comics number 1004. Um, 
This is uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Ryan Sook. Uh, this is the continuation of the storyline in Action Comics. Uh, we recently found out last issue that Lois Lane is back uh, from her long odyssey with their son, Jonathan Kent, but she has come back alone. So we are hopefully going to get some answers on this issue from her when Clark goes to find her. And yeah, so let's jump to the synopsis. Superman confronts Lois Lane and wants answers. Where is John Kent? What happened during Lois's trip into space with Jor-El? Why didn't she contact the Man of Steel when she returned? And most importantly, does she still love him? Or is the world-famous reporter looking to let Clark down easy? Lois and Clark's relationship gets redefined in this issue, illustrated by acclaimed artist Ryan Sook. And Ryan Sook, I think, is a great artist. I am a big fan of the art so far from um, Patrick Gleason, but Ryan Sook is a great artist, and I'm looking forward to his uh, his art in this. There was a, uh, last month they did like a little, um, it's kind of like an artist spotlight on one panel in this that I'm really looking forward to seeing, so definitely pick this up. Uh, this has been much better so far than the main Superman book, and I definitely recommend it. Next up, we have Amazing Spider-Man number 8, written by Nick Spencer and featuring the return to art duties of Umberto Ramos. Uh, there's something about Umberto Ramos's art that I really enjoy when it comes to Spider-Man. He was with uh, Dan Slott for so long drawing the character that it, so, there's something about the way that he draws him that feels familiar and really... Um, uh, really enjoyable to read through for me and this is I believe starting off a new uh, new arc for him as a character so uh, or a new arc for the book so uh, this is the synopsis the heist of the century is on who are the thieves guild of New York Spidey might die trying to find out so there's a lot of you know in informative synopsis synopses coming out from marvel this week um doesn't really tell us a whole lot which i guess i mean doesn't have to but i would like to know um again i will probably be picking this up exclusively for the ramos art i know uh his art has been uh the talking point for a lot of people a lot of people don't like his art a lot of people um do like his art i happen to fall into the latter category so uh definitely pick this up it looks like it's gonna be kind of going separate from the main spider geddon book so um we did have the tie-in from uh the previous week with peter parker the spectacular spider-man uh tying into the event so i am looking forward to just kind of getting back into the swing of things with uh self kind of uh self-contained spider-man stories uh, next up, we have Detective Comics number 991, uh, written by James Robinson with art by Carmine, oh god, Gian Domenico. Um, Gian Domenico has been on Flash for most of the Rebirth run, so I'm looking forward to seeing how he kind of brings his uh, gritty, scratchy art style to Detective Comics. I think it, um, I think it actually matches pretty well with a... Uh, noir detective story so this should be good uh this is continuing on the um batman versus cobra storyline and includes the team up of batman and two-face so here's the synopsis 
Batman's newest partner, Two-Face. As Harvey Dent's persona asserts fragile control over the villain's psyche, the Dark Knight, Commissioner Gordon, and their ally-turned-enemy-turned-ally must work together to stop Cobra's terrorist attack against Gotham City. So this is a pretty cool spotlight on uh, Two-Face. I've always thought he was a great character, not just a great Batman villain, but also a great character in his own right. And uh, we don't really get a lot of stories with him kind of interacting with Jim Gordon. At one point, they were partners when Harvey Dent was just a regular district attorney. So um, I'm interested. I'm interested. I've been really looking forward to uh, this story, kind of getting back into uh, more grounded stories, even though this is them versus a terrorist organization called Cobra. Um, Not the Cobra you're thinking of either. No G.I. Joe cameos here. But uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. It's been stellar writing so far, though this kind of seems like a filler arc until uh, Tomasi picks up the book. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. And then finally, we have the big book for this week, which is Spider-Geddon number two, uh, written by Christos Gage with art by George Molina and a story by Dan Slott. Uh, here's the synopsis. The inheritors have made landfall and have drawn first blood. Now the spiders have to gather their army and start their missions. But can it possibly be enough for an incredibly powerful family that eat spider people? So this story um, just goes from 0 to 100 right out the gate. Uh, the So spoilers for last issue, but in the previous issue, they killed uh, Spider-Man UK and they killed Spider-Man Noir, um, which I was really surprised about. They were really integral characters to the whole Web Warriors book as well as the first Spider-Verse story. So I was really surprised that they killed them off, but I guess they had to raise the stakes really quickly and show that, you know, these guys aren't messing around. So... I am looking forward to this book. I've been really looking forward to this story. Uh, this also, I think, hopefully, fingers crossed, is the re-debut of Superior Spider-Man, where Doc Ock will shed his superior octopus identity and go back into my favorite version of Spider-Man. So, uh, yeah, definitely pick this up. Uh, this is number two of five, and I believe it's going to be like every other week or every two weeks they're going to be sending out a new Spider-Geddon book. I think they're trying to get this out before the end of December when uh, Into the Spider-Verse comes out. So definitely pick this up. So that is uh, the segment uh, for this week in comics. To recap, uh, we've got Detective Comics number 991, Spider-Geddon number 2, Action Comics number 1004, um, Amazing Spider-Man number 8, and Return of Wolverine number 2. And that wraps up the podcast for this week. Uh, thank you for listening. Again, uh, feel free to reach out with any recommendations for any comics I may have missed or any uh, comics or any dark comic storylines that you think I should check out since this is the uh, season of the witch. Halloween is right around the corner uh, next week. Um, got a lot of stuff uh, going on. I'm trying to decide on whether... I should do a. Uh, we, we've got a. I've got a couple ideas for our Halloween episode. Uh, 
I'll share it with you guys. I'll share it with you guys. Uh, maybe I'll put up a poll on Twitter that you guys can vote in. And because uh, I've got two ideas, because we do have season two of Castlevania coming out on Friday. Uh, the review, the episode that we did reviewing the first season is one of our most popular and most listened to episodes. So um, one idea for our Halloween episode would be to uh, review season two. And then also, um, I'm more uncomfortable with this idea, but um, I thought it might be fun, is I would, my second idea would be to do an audio commentary on the, uh, I want to say the 2016 or 2017 movie It. Uh, I have never seen this movie. I do not like clowns. I do not enjoy clowns. Clowns scare me a lot. And uh, the original It was all it took to instill that fear in me. So I have not seen this film. So I thought it would be fun for you guys and terrifying for me if I did kind of an audio commentary so you guys could listen along with me as I watch this for the first time. Uh, I don't know about this. I'm really uncomfortable with the idea, but I think it would be a cool episode for you guys to listen to. So um, you would just start the start the film, pop on my audio commentary, and we would be able to watch the film together. So, um, again, I will put up a vote or a poll on Twitter. Uh, Feel free to vote in the poll uh, at GeekSplainedPod. That's at GeekSplainedPod. And uh, I'll probably leave the poll up for a couple days and then uh, close it down so that I can get recording on this episode. So that is next week. Uh, Look forward to that. I will tentatively look forward to it. I am kind of hoping it's not the it episode, so uh, we will see what the poll does. Um, but that will be it for this week for Geek Explained. This is Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.